morning. Good. You got your knives with you? Yep. Well, you won't have to kill anybody in here this morning, I don't think. Of course, I'm ready if we do. Hi, buddy. What you got there? Oh, my good. A tire. It's come off your rig. That looks like a tire that come off your dad's tractor. Here. You better save that. It's a little one. Yeah, it's a little one. Son, 
which is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. And then in verse 19, John begins uh, in what's called the period of consideration when Jesus began his ministry and was considered by the Jews. A period of consideration. And we'll get into that later, but we want to finish out this prologue that's in verse 11. It says, And the word uh, came, uh, uh, he came unto his own. Uh, now there's contact, heaven and earth. There's contact. Philippians 2.5 tells you about that contact, that he emptied himself in heaven of his divine prerogatives, not of his divinity, but of his divine prerogatives. Remember that. He, did, he was divine. But he emptied himself of his divine prerogatives. And uh, he uh, submitted himself to become a man. Alright, so uh, it says that he came unto his own. And there's contact. And that idiom, unto his own, really means he came home. He came home. We stress the fact that this world's not ours. It doesn't belong to us. We have no right to lay no claim on anything. We have the privilege of partaking of this world, of life, and of all of its dainties for a temporary period. And we have the opportunity to partake of the blessings that will extend throughout eternity. But you, God doesn't owe you anything. And we've got to get that across because I see in particularly in the American people, I don't know about other countries, but in the American people, they have this attitude that God owes them something. He don't owe you nothing. But He's given you everything. And we're ungrateful like the Jews were because we expect things. We think if our life is not going good, then it's God's fault. And if we got problems, it's God's fault. And why is He doing this to me? He owes me, you see. That's how we think. We got to get over that. We got to humble ourselves under this fact and realize that whatever we have in life is uh, by the grace of God. He don't owe you nothing, not one thing. But again, He's given you everything. Isn't that the way grace is in the home? Little Johnny and little Sally. Uh, every now and then they have to be reminded by mom and dad uh, of the grace that's extended toward them. You don't owe them anything. Uh, well, I'll go ahead and say it anyway. When I got married, my wife thought I owed her. And uh, I slammed the brakes on. We was traveling from Mount Vernon to LaConnor, just a few miles out of town. That's where we lived at the time. And we just got married, and she was talking about how what I owed her, 50%. I slammed the brakes on to get her attention, pulled off the side of the road, and I said, what is this owing? I don't owe you anything. I don't owe you one thing. Don't ever use that leverage on me, because I don't owe you a dime. Now what you get out of me will be by my good graces. And I'll be gracious to you. But don't get rid of this idea. I owe you. I don't. I can walk away any time as a man of the world. I wouldn't because I was a Christian. But you get the idea. We have a mindset. That that's what makes us angry in our culture is, boy, the government owes me. They don't owe you nothing. They don't owe you nothing. Now they've made some promises to you, and in those promises they owe you, but in the total picture, they don't owe you nothing. But boy, how arrogant we get because we think they owe us something. And we think God owes us something. And we're upset if life is uh, tipsy-turvy for us for a little while. All right, I got that out of my system so we can go on with our Bible study. But he came unto his own. Uh, he made contact with humanity. 
uh, and that phrase, that idiom, means that he came home because the world was his creation. We've already seen that in the earlier verses of this chapter, chapter 1. Uh, he had come to visit his own property, as it were, and thus asserting inherent right and ownership. And that's how Jesus came to this world, and they rejected him. And it says in that verse 11, And his own received him not. Now the Jews do not like that statement. Uh, who was that guy that made that last movie on the crucifixion of Christ? Mel Gibson. Mel Gibson. Mel Gibson, boy, he raised a furor with the Jews because uh, they didn't like what he that he labeled them as the enemy of Christ. And his answer to them was, I merely used the New Testament as my script. And he did. And in the script, it declares, even like here, he came into his own and his own received him not. He came to the Jews and they received him not. And the Gospels declared that. But there's the arrogance and the stupidity of someone who is lofty in his own mind about himself. And that's the way they are. They can't see the truth because of their loftiness in their own mind. And God forbid that you and I get that way. Uh, I was talking to a Christian the other day about the basis of Christianity. You know what it is? What would you say was the bedrock, the foundation of Christianity? Now we know we're built on Christ's crucifixion, that's true. But what is the main bedrock of Christianity for our gaining it? It's found in one word. And we have yet to learn that word. And you can see it every day in every way. The word is humility. Humility. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. If you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, who else have you humbled yourself under? His children. His family. And there's no longer this haughtiness of, well, I'm not going back there again. They, they didn't treat me right. And all that nonsense. Paul, as he addressed his letters that we've been studying, like 1 Corinthians, <coughs> He declared in his introduction to several of those letters that he was a servant of Jesus Christ. And we have went deeper into that to see what that original word meant, servant. What does it mean? Well, it speaks of a slave. And more than a slave, it speaks of an under rower. And we talked quite a bit about that under roar, if you remember. You remember? In those battleships. The last place you wanted to serve, because you gave your life there for that ship, was down in the bowels, in the very bottom of the ship, as an under roar. Because your oar was very short for moving that ship around uh, with engagements with the enemy. And it was a very, it, it, there was a place where they sent you to die. And Paul declared himself to be an underroar. Now, if I were to ask you to raise your hand, if you see yourself as an underroar, and I'm not, I'm not doing that, how many of us would recognize ourselves as an underroar and one that's obligated to a brother and a sister and, and uh, mainly to God? Because if you're obligated to God, you're obligated to your brother, your sister. But we're always fussing and feuding and talking against a brother or a sister. And we just can't keep our mouth out of it. You know, James talks about how the man is, uh, by God's, uh, God's uh, allowance, has allowed man to tame all the animals of the world. And... Uh, of course, now we think it's a great thing because you go down to California and They've trained those, uh, what are those, killer whales? Orcas. 
And boy, that is something. Well, John and James said they back 2,000 years ago, they, man's already trained everything. He's used the elephants as tractors and hauling timbers and stuff. But uh, what did I bring that up for? Tongue. Yeah, the tongue. Thank you. James talks about the tongue, that it is untrainable. You just got to put reins on it like you do a horse. And you got to pull it in, pull them in. And the tongue is the most destructive, particularly in a congregation. If you got a, a woman or a man with a big tongue, you got problems. They just can't quit talking about one another. We don't have that right. We have a right to love one another. And we haven't got to 1 Corinthians 13 yet in our study on Wednesday night. But 1 Corinthians 13 defines love as, as uh, thinks no evil, speaks no evil. It thinks the best of you. It wants to see the best of you. And it hurts to hear even evidence that's against you, that's true. It hurts. And you're more willing to help than to go around broadcasting what they've done. But we rejoice in telling about one another's faults, don't we? Sure we do. <laughs> but nobody's going to acknowledge it, are they? Called negative rocks. Man. I will. <laughs> it's a thing that you have to look out for. So Jesus came unto his own, and his own received him not. There's rejection. Rejection is the theme of the second line there in verse 11. Uh, his own people received him not. He came to the Jews. We're talking about a Jewish religion, you know, aren't we? That's why it went first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. Is because where did God work out this plan in showing the shadow and the figure of what he had planned through the Jewish nation? And we get so confused on that. Uh, we go back to Joel 2, <coughs> verse 28-30. And Joel said, The days are coming in the last days when uh, uh, your young men and women will prophesy and see visions. And we just drop plumb out of history. Oh, that's talking about us. No, we ain't even in that. We ain't in that. Joel was a Jew speaking to Jews. To the Jewish nation. That pertained to them. Not you. You're a Gentile. Is there any Jews here? <laughs> uh, I didn't think so. <laughs> but we lose contact with the, with the continuity of Scripture and what is at the, the, the time and frame in which it's talking. And so we get this idea, oh, it said that we're going to prophesy and we're going to see visions. No, that was all in the preparation of establishing the gospel that we now have. And it was given to the Jews, not to the Gentiles. So his own particular people, the Jews, did not accept him as they might logically be expected to. Now, shouldn't they have been expected to receive the Messiah? Weren't they looking for a Messiah? Now, they weren't looking for the Messiah that's revealed in Old Testament prophecy, but they were looking for a Messiah that they thought was that Messiah of the Old Testament prophecy, but it was their imagination. See, they rejected him because... Prophecy declared that he'd come out of Nazareth. Nazareth was a place of the Samaritans. It was not a very favorable place. And they couldn't imagine the king of kings coming from such a, a, a dire geographical location. And they certainly couldn't understand him being born in a manger. They thought surely he'd ride out of heaven and thunder and lightning and horses' uh, snot nostrils breathing hard as, as a charger would. And he, he would come in with a sword in each hand and he'd kill the Romans. That's what they thought. 
along with many other ideas. And as we've studied uh, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, we know the effect of Gnosticism uh, and asceticism and those ascisms on the early church. I mean, they had a history of teaching a long time before Christ came that uh, God can't come in human flesh because to them, their conclusion was human flesh was evil. <coughs> how can God dwell in evil? And you see how messed up they were in their understanding of the scriptures. And uh, so, and uh, for God to die? Why God can't die? And that was their concept. They were locked up on that. They failed to see come as a man. And you and I do that all the time, don't we? That's why we study the scriptures to come to learn that he become 100% man. He had fears, anxieties, and frustrations just exactly like we do. And what squelched him? What's seen him through? Faith. Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. Another thing that we have difficulty with because we don't really see its importance. And then in life's way, we're out here shedding big tears. And we don't realize that God don't send that. He sends sunshine. He sends hope. Everything about God is hope and sunshine. Except if you want to be rebellious against him, you don't want to do that, do you? It isn't pleasant. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. That was Paul's statement. And our God is a consuming fire. Hebrews 12, verse... Uh, last verse of that chapter. So Jesus came to his own, and his own received him not. Uh, their rejection of him... Uh, oh, I wanted to spend a little time on prophecy. Should they have recognized him? Was they without excuse for not recognizing him? They certainly were. Hadn't God plowed the field of the mind of the Jewish nation and prepared them for the coming of the Messiah? Yeah, he told them where he was going to be born, when he was going to be born, the nature of his birth and everything. They, God named it right down to, was they studying the scriptures? Now, they was reading them, but they weren't studying them. There's the difference. I can see a Jew, like Christians today, open their Bible. I've done my reading, and we're now ready to get out in life and go and do what we want to do. We're not interested in studying. Studying is wearisome. Uh, we might have to go to a dictionary to understand the wording sometimes. And we might have to dig a little deeper. Oh, we don't want to do that. We ain't got time for that. We're trying to make a living, trying to make money, and all of this. That's why we're many, many times we're in ignorance. Right there. A guy once told a friend of mine at the back door after Sunday sermon, and he told him, he said, Boy, I wish I could quote scripture like you. You know what his answer was, that brother? You could if you studied as much as I do. And that's true. And the man needed to know that. He had the ability. But these Jews, were they without excuse? No, they were not. They was guilty because they didn't study the scriptures. God laid it out bit by bit, piece by piece, development by development. And he laid out his whole blueprint as it were they weren't looking at the blueprint were they and of course Jesus condemned them because he told them on one occasion you teach for doctrine the commandments of men <coughs> they had perverted the doctrine of God to the commandments and the understanding of men to their own hurt Remember what the soldier said when the, the captain of the guard that crucified Jesus? Remember what he said? What he saw. 
and what he knew from from the history of Jesus' life that he'd heard about in that brief three and a half year period. Finally, at the cross scene, he come to say, truly, this was the Son of God. There were no denying it. But the Jews didn't see it, and so Jesus came into his own, and his own received him not. Uh, now, the Jews' rejection of him uh, was portrayed in the parable of the wicked husbandman. And I want us to take the time out this morning to turn over and read that parable. Matthew 21, verse 33 through 46. Matthew 21, 33 through 46. <clears throat> Jesus is speaking here, it's evident. Hear another parable. There was a certain householder which planted a vineyard and he hedged it round about and he digged a wine press in it and he built a tower and he let it out to husbandmen and he went into a far country. Now this is picturing God in his creation and uh, how that he provided everything for it. I mean it had fences and it had water towers it had uh, the vineyard was planted, and it was all ready to produce, and he let it out to husbandmen. Now, who do you suppose the husbandmen are? The Jewish nation. We're talking again about a Jewish religion that we shared in. Uh, all right. Oh, incidentally, uh, all of the prophets were Jews that spoke to the Jews about the Jews' religion. But are we mentioning there? Yes, we are. Yeah. Genesis 12, verse 3. In thy seed, Abraham, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. And God gave that same promise to Isaac, to Jacob, and right down through the times. And then old Jacob had 12 sons, and he blessed one by the name of Judah. What did he say about that uh, son in regard to the Christ? The ruler's staff will not depart from it. Yeah, the ruler's staff will not depart from Judah until who comes? Shiloh. What's Shiloh mean in Hebrew? Give her a rest. Well, what am I up here teaching these things when you guys seem to know everything already? <laughs> I'm very proud. You should say, what is to give her a rest? You'll answer it. All right, <coughs> verse 34. And when the time of the uh, fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the husbandmen that they might receive the fruits of it. And the husbandman took his servants, and he beat one, killed another, and stoned another. And again he sent other servants more than at the first, and they did unto them likewise. But last of all, he sent unto them his own son, saying, They will reverence my son. But when the husbandmen saw the son, they said amongst themselves, This is the heir. Come and let us kill him, and let us seize on his inheritance. And they caught him, and they cast him out of the vineyard, and slew him. And when the Lord therefore the vineyard cometh, uh, what will he do unto the those husbandmen and the Jews said unto him he will miserably destroy those wicked men and will let out his vineyard unto other husbandmen which shall render him his fruit in their seasons and Jesus said unto them did ye never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected the same has become the head of the corner this is the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes Therefore say I unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation bringing forth the fruits thereof. And whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken, but on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. There's humility. Whoever this stone falls on shall be broken. 
humility. And when the chief priests and the Pharisees had heard this parable, they perceived that he spake of them. They understood, didn't they? They finally got through to them, and they were mad about it. They didn't accept the truth. And there's a lot of people comes to the church of Christ, our gathering right here, and they stomp away. I ain't putting up with that. Well, was it the truth? Well, certainly it was. Certainly it was the truth. But I don't like that. I don't like the way he said that. <laughs> but when they sought to lay hands on him, they feared the multitude because they took him for a prophet. Well, certainly they did because of the miracles he'd done and things of that nature, like Nicodemus in the third chapter of John. He came to Jesus and said, No man does what you do except God be with him. We know that you come from God. Could they all have known that? Yes, they did. They could, but they didn't because of their prejudices. Prejudice is a pretty powerful thing, isn't it? We wrestle with it today in many different ways and shapes and forms, and all of us have a little prejudice in us. I don't care. You can deny it if you want to, but let me be the first to tell you, you've got your prejudice. This idea, I am not. You certainly are. I had a colored family one time uh, cornered me after a service, sermon. And they wanted to know. They was older people. They said, Merle, are you prejudiced? And I looked at both of them like, uh, I wanted it to sink in. I, I looked at them and I said, <laughs> uh, uh, I said, yeah, I probably am. I said, you know, I found out that because I'm human, my feet's made of clay. I suffer from all the diseases and maladies that man has. So if you want to condemn me, we'll go right ahead. But I said, how about you? Right, do you have any prejudices? And you know that ended the conversation. They didn't want to talk about that. Because they was honest enough inside themselves to know that they're prejudiced. We all fight that. Some way, somehow, uh, to some degree. We all do. If you don't know what the word means, then you've got a dictionary, go look it up. You've got Google, and Google can tell you ever stuff. <laughs> And so their rejection of him was uh, portrayed in the parable of the wicked husbandman that we just read. And of course, Mark's accounts in chapter 12 and Luke's accounts in chapter 20. If you want to read those accounts, they say the same thing. So Christ was accepted by the Samaritans, chapter 4. We'll see that. The Samaritans wanted to see Jesus. They recognized him. And they ain't Jews. <laughs> They're half-breeds. And he was sought by the Greeks in chapter 12 and verse 20. They wanted to see Jesus too. So you see, the Jews rejected him, but the Gentiles didn't. Who was it that came over and visited Jesus in the manger? Those were Gentiles. Those weren't Jews. They were Persians, no doubt, because they came from the east. And if you know anything of the geography of that time, that's Persia, where King Xerxes was in charge. Uh, but uh, he was spurned by the official representatives of his own people. Who were those representatives of his own people? You've read the Gospels. How about the high priests? Could we name them as representatives? How about the ecumenical, or uh, the, uh, well, that's good enough. The high priests. You remember when the Persians came over and, and told Herod that they come to pay tribute to the king of the Jews? He was shocked because he didn't know about it. He should have. And he said to the high priests and they were shocked too because they didn't know about it. And they dug into the scriptures because of the importance of this hour. Here are these Persian wise men have came over representing the king as ambassadors from Persia. 
And they looked in there and they come back to Father and said, Yeah, our scriptures talk about a king being born. sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Now John here discusses this reception in terms of its method and its effect. Now, its method was they believed on his name. In other words, on his authority, because name means authority. You know, if the law comes to your house, open that door in the name of the law of the state of Washington. You know exactly what he's talking about. Yeah, talking about the authority they have. Well, that's what a name is, in the name of. You're baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. And you're baptized by their authority and into their uh, authoritative uh, promise and word. <coughs> Believe on his name. And that's exactly what Paul explained in his uh, prospectus of Romans 1, verse 16 and 17. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, the gospel being the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein, now he's going to talk of what's in the gospel. We've already been through this several times. Therein, verse 17, is contained now here's what it's holding. The gospel holds this. It's contained a righteousness from God and it's to be enjoyed on the basis of faith, not works. So you have nothing to do with salvation except to lay hold on it. That's it. That's it. And if you lay hold on it, it's because you appreciate it. And because you appreciate it, you're going to do everything within your power to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he's a slave owner, a slave master that deserves service. He don't require it necessarily. But Paul made himself a slave. Jesus did. And that's what you've got to do. Is surrender yourself, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. First Peter 5 verse 6. You're the one that's got to do that. Or you ain't going nowhere. To them gave you power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. And so believing on his name is the method. And uh, uh, here's the effect. Uh, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Where did they get their new birth? It's from God. It wasn't from men. It wasn't from the uh, blood of men or the will of men. Man had nothing to do with it. And in the Old Testament, I'll just throw this at you, and you can notice it as you're reading the Old Testament, particularly Isaiah, because God introduces himself pretty heavy in Isaiah as to who he is and what he'll do. And one of the things that he states, and I don't remember exactly where it's at, 
I think it's chapter 40. Uh, what do you say, Sean? <laughs> I'm drawing a blank. Uh, well, I'll be. Which verse? I don't remember the verse. Uh, well, that happens once in a while. I get carried away talking and forget what I'm talking about. Sorry about that. Um, talking about baptism, and uh, that man has nothing to do with it but oh. God. It's all from God, not a man, not well, you. Yeah, what he said was, I will share my glory with no one. So, for you to think that you can save yourself by being good and doing good and giving money here and there and everywhere to the poor. Jesus said you have the poor with you always. Uh, uh, the church has never been commissioned to feed the poor. Never have. They've been commissioned to make known the manifold wisdom of God. Ephesians 3 verse 11. Now have they fed the poor on occasions? Yes, in dire situations. 1 Corinthians 16 1 and 2 that we're all familiar about. And incidentally, Paul wasn't given charge to them to give. He's given them charge on how to collect that money so that there'd be no gathering when he comes. That he didn't have to run around and gather some over here and some over there and some over there. He's on his way to Jerusalem. He said, you guys gathered up when you come together on Sunday. But boy, have we made Jewish doctrines out of that. Oh, you, you better give on Sunday. You can't give it on Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday. You got to give it on Sunday. Now, anyway, so God will share His glory with no one, and that's what Romans one sixteen to seventeen says. Verse seventeen: For therein, in the gospel, is contained a righteousness. It's not yours. You had nothing to do with it. A righteousness. It's from God. It's a gift. That's why it's a free gift. And it's had by the, on the basis of faith. And you know Paul knew that he's going to have a problem with hard-headed people like maybe us. And you know what else he said there? For it is written. So he's going to use Scripture in the Old Testament to prove his point, isn't he? In verse 17. He says, as the scripture says, the just shall live by faith. You know what he was quoting? Habakkuk. Have you heard of him? A prophet in the Old Testament? So in the Old Testament, was they saved by law or by faith? You need to get that down. Because when you get to Romans 3 and verse 7 and verse 9, you're going to find Paul telling you there never was a Jew saved by law. And you're going to go into some kind of a hysterics because you're going to think, well, why did God give it? That's another subject, isn't it? And I'm going to get away from it before we fall into that because that's not our study. That passage in Isaiah 42, <laughs> verse 8. So... Uh, So the effects of receiving the word is a new relationship being discussed there. The obtaining of the right of entrance into the family of God. He gave you that right. He gave you that invitation. There's one thing stressed in the scriptures in God's dealing with man. He came after you. You didn't go after him. You remember that. Oh, yeah, so good. I, I went after the. No, he went after you. And we'll see that in the sermon this morning. But God went after you. He saw that maybe you was honest, like the Philippian jailer or uh, the Ethiopian eunuch or Saul of Tarsus. And God's the one that came after you. Aren't you glad? 
And he's looking for the souls, into the souls of men this very minute, this very millisecond. All around you out here, over in that housing project, over here, out there on them farms, he's looking for just a, just an ounce, as it were, of uh, honesty and humility. And he'll see that somebody gets a Philip or somebody gets to him, an Ananias or somebody. That's God's business. That's God's work. But your salvation is because of His grace and His goodness. And boy, how quick we lose sight of that. I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> <coughs> How do we look on people that's not as good as we are? <laughs> Ain't no hope for them. <laughs> Ain't that the way we look at people? I worked these construction jobs all my life, and that's the way a construction worker uh, thinks. Well, they're not as good as I am, boy, I tell you. Uh, God's got to be pleased with me. And we think we're earning everything. If we preach the gospel, oh, boy, God owes me because look what I did. And the Lord said very clearly, after you've done everything that's within your power to do, say to yourself, I'm still an unprofitable servant. I did only what it was my duty to do. So what does that do to pride? It buries it. It buries it. And it makes a man humble. It makes a man recognize the grace of God that came after him. So God's a hunter. He's hunting for those souls that are honest and open and willing. So are we, aren't we? Because we're his children. He's our father and he taught us how, didn't he? So we're looking for people who are honest and open. And we're willing to dump more on them than <laughs> they really need at the moment. <laughs> yeah. We get excited because very seldom do you run into somebody that's open and honest. Conrad did, uh, him and his family, uh, and we baptized one of his neighbors last Sunday night. Wasn't it Sunday night? Yeah. We had all the time doing it because we didn't make preparations. The baptistry was about that much low in water. Somebody turned the heater off and it was ice cold. There was no towels in the bathroom. We had no preparation. I felt the heat come off my face. I was so embarrassed. Now I don't think that'll happen again. I don't think it will. At least that's what Jeff said. Better not. He said it several times. He was mad, I could tell. He said, oh, this ain't gonna happen again, I guarantee you. <laughs> <laughs> but we go with the flow, don't we? We, just, we like to float. <laughs> we float along. Uh, oh, all of a sudden we find out we made no preparation. Kind of sounds like them virgins that didn't get enough oil for their lamps, doesn't it? Could be. Uh, <coughs> all right, so... Uh, the effect of receiving the word is a new relationship, the obtaining of the right to entrance into the family of God. And that's pretty overwhelming when you baptize somebody. I remember uh, Conrad's dad, when he come out of that baptistry, there was a fire in his eyes that I never seen before. There was a hope there, there was a determination, and he looked at me and he said, now I need to get into that Bible and study it. Well, he'd been studying it and reading it along, but he met more determination. And he was so excited because he was invited into the kingdom of God and he entered by way of faith, obedience, and baptism. And his old man died there, and he come out of that baptistry a new man. He still had arthritis. He still was paralyzed because of his... Uh, stroke 
but he was a new man. Okay, the word rendered power in that verse. To them gave he power. Uh, that's what the King James says. And the American Standard Version says, To them gave he right to become sons of God. And that means delegated authority or power or privilege, which is exercised by the consent of or on the appointment of another. And that's what we've been talking about. God appointed and delegated and sent after you. Now you didn't see that. You didn't see a chariot come down the road to gather you up and, and, and take you into the kingdom. But that's exactly what happened. Or you wouldn't be here. God came after you. So if you think that you're smarter than the average bear, forget that. You're just humbler than most people are. And because of that humility, God saw it like he did the Ethiopian eunuch. And he sent Philip. He said, get down there. There's, there's a guy with humility in his heart. Get down there. God still works that way, doesn't he? Because Malachi 3.6, he says, I, Jehovah, change not. So God does not change, does he? He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And that's another statement Jesus made. And because of that, that's the way he works today. He goes through this community over here looking for humility. Someone who will recognize the truth and is willing to accept it. He's looking over here. He's looking in Pasco and around the world. Even in China and Russia. Boy, I just wish he'd shoot them people or something. Kill them. That's generally our attitude because they're our enemy. They want our money. And we're greedy. So we want a new TV from China. <laughs> what are you looking up here for? You look with condemning eyes like I... I've done something here. <laughs> well, our time's up. And so, we'll begin with uh, verse 14 next week. Thank you. Hello? Hi.